Welcome to the Oceans Church Podcast. We pray that as you join us for this message, you are blessed, encouraged and empowered to bring the kingdom of heaven into your spheres of life. God is moving in this place. There's something special about this church and church isn't a building, it's the people. There's something special about you guys here today. There's no mistake that you're here. So let's go. Let's get into it. So I'm Kelsey. I don't know if I said that. I'm Kelsey. I'm married to the amazing Daniel right there. Pastor Daniel. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Give it up. And he is currently trying to get our beautiful daughter, Elisha, to sleep. She is six months old and she's absolutely the best thing in the whole world. I love being a mum. It is my best calling ever. She is absolutely beautiful. And yeah, I actually, I think that I've loved it so much. I think Dan and I have had a bit of a chat. I want four more. Yep, that's where it's at. I want four more. It's going to be amazing. So speaking of four, we are in the fourth week of our Who is the Real Jesus series. And I've loved going straight to the source about who Jesus is. I love getting to know more about his character because that's what it's all about, right? Getting to know his character. We may have our own perceptions about what Jesus is like, maybe something that we grew up thinking about him. But tonight, I'm going to tell you about who the real Jesus is. And we're going to do this by having a look at an account of someone that actually got to walk alongside Jesus in his journey. Because when we see Jesus, we see God. If we want to get to know God, we have to get to know Jesus. You ready? Let's go. I'm going to pray. So Lord, we thank you that you're here with us right now, God. I thank you that you see us where we're at. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I've been married to Daniel for almost two years now. We met in this church. I thought he was pretty cute. <laughs> but boy, was it a mission to get him to, to pay attention to me. I was on his radar. But what he didn't know was that he was actually on mine. Come on. And I decided, after a few years of friendship, I decided that I needed to make myself more visible to him. You know, to be seen by him. I wanted to, him to see me, like see, see me. You know? And I had to figure out a way to get him to, to know that I wanted to be more than friends. And we served in youth together. We ran a dinner party together. And I remember, there's just nothing happening. So I remember one night he drove me home and I was like, do you even like me? <laughs> what do we do with this? And he was like, you know what? I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to get back to you. But the next day he asked me out at youth. So come on, let's go. <laughs> So good. So if you're thinking about serving in youth, this is your sign. Take it. But I just wanted to be seen by him. And now I get to be married to him and have a beautiful daughter. And I just want to talk about this because this concept of being seen is actually a huge part of my journey. And I used to think that being seen meant that I had value. So if I wasn't seen, I thought that I didn't have any value. And what I didn't realize during my time away from God was that Jesus saw me even when I wasn't seen by others. And when I learned this, it changed everything in my life. So I want to explore this point by diving into the account of Mary Magdalene. Now, there's a few other Marys in the Bible, and I don't want to confuse you with them. There's about six, actually. It's debatable, but there's about six. I want to speak about Mary Magdalene. So she was the one who actually got to journey alongside Jesus in his ministry. And I can relate to this Mary because she experienced what it was like to be seen and valued by Jesus. And this is what changed her life. This is what it was, this moment. So my title of the message tonight is Seen. And it's about how Jesus saw Mary. So let's set the scene. 
Mary was a woman in a Jewish community. But let's just pause on that for a second. She was a woman in a Jewish community. And I just want to talk about that because let me tell you what life was like for a Jewish woman back then. Did you know that the Jewish laws back in the day stated that women were not to be spoken to by men in public, especially Jewish men? In fact, a Jewish man's morning prayer was typically he would thank God that he was not a Gentile, which is non-Jewish, that he wasn't a slave and that he wasn't a woman. That was his thankful morning prayer to God. Am I right? That's crazy. So in Jesus' day, women were not seen or valued by society at all. They received no education. They were not allowed to be instructed in the law of Moses, which was a big deal back then. And there were a lot of rules about woman, what a woman should wear and, and do. So women were very unseen in their culture. And hear me out. This message tonight isn't talking about women and men and, and the difference there. But I want to talk about how Jesus sees and values every single person despite who they are, no matter who they are. So not only was Mary a woman who was unseen in her culture, but before Jesus came along, she was actually also possessed by seven demons. That's a lot. Seven, these demons would have caused uh, a huge amount of turmoil in her day-to-day living. And she would have been seen of, seen of as unclean, a sinner, and someone who deserved what she got. She probably experienced an immense amount of shame and guilt. That's a lot. And she might have even attempted to, to, to cover up this pain and who knows what she would have done to do that. You know, I have a feeling that life for her probably wasn't always sunshine and roses or sunshine and rainbows, as Dan corrected me this morning. <laughs> sunshine and daisies, I don't know. <laughs> so women were unseen in their time. And Mary, Mary was unseen in her time. And given this kind of description, Mary probably wouldn't be the kind of person you think would be anyone's first choice, let alone Jesus's. So for me, I really relate to this. I mean, I probably wasn't possessed by seven demons, but it was something, she, I, I, I know what it was like to be unseen and unvalued, undervalued in that time. So I wanted to share a little bit about my story, about what it meant and the consequences of my life of being unseen. So I walked away from God for some time, probably about eight years. I was about 16 when it all started. And I was trying to find out who I was in the world around me. I didn't know where to look for my worth. And so I went to where the world told me to, which was to men. And I figured that if men valued women as much as they said they did, that I would be fine. I'll find someone. They'll love me. They'll cherish me. I'll feel valued and loved. I'll be worth it. But that didn't last long. And before I knew it, I was in and out of relationships. And I started to find a pattern emerging. I began to notice that I was really someone's first choice. I seemed to be the girl at the time that was, that was fun to be around. I lived this gypsy life where I was here one day and gone the next. But I realized in those moments and what I'd learned was that I wasn't worth investing into. I felt like I wasn't good enough to be someone's first choice. And I remember when I, fi- I found out that the guy I was seeing at the time, he was actually going behind my back and hanging out with this model who went to his gym and he would take her out to catch the sunset and take photos of her and all these things that he never did with me and the rest can write itself and stuff like that started to happen to me where I was overlooked and I was pushed aside again and again and so I tried to become the ultimate package to compensate I changed my personality my looks my behavior just to try and be more appealing than the next girl I had compromised my morals in every area I'd been with men and women. I'd let people cross boundaries with my body. I'd been drugged that many times. 
I can't even remember. I can't even count. I remember on one occasion I felt so unsafe and so scared. When I was held underwater in the ocean at night, I couldn't breathe. And I remember another time when I was blackout drunk in my mind and someone offered me meth. And I was too far gone to know what that was. And I spent the next 24 hours trying not to overdose. I shouldn't be standing here today. I was so broken. I didn't care about much because I never felt good enough. All I wanted to be was seen and valued. But the situations I put myself in didn't allow for that to happen. Yeah, I'd been so hurt that I didn't even care about remaining faithful in my relationships anymore. And this continued until one day I realized that I was the person that people would be unfaithful with. Yeah, I'd fallen so low that I didn't care about being faithful in my own relationships, but I didn't even care about other people being faithful in theirs. And so I became the other woman. And this was a label that I carried around on my heart for years. I was the woman who destroyed other people's marriages, even people who had kids. And so you see this feeling of unseen, being undervalued. It started small. It started with this misconception about who I was, about what I was worth. But this feeling led to catastrophic consequences that not just affected me, but it affected marriages. It affected families. And I felt so much guilt from everything that I'd done. I thought I was never going to get married. I'd written myself as being someone who never could. In my eyes, I was too far gone. I'd done too much damage. I didn't want a God who told me I'd done the wrong thing. I wanted a miracle without God. I didn't need him to, to tell me how bad I was. My perception of him was that he was just going to tell me off. He was going to tell me how bad I was and how far I'd gone. And this is exactly what Mary would have felt like. Guilty, too far gone, no one's first choice. I can encourage you. Maybe, maybe there are some of you tonight who have found yourself where I was. It might look different. Maybe you've been on the search. A search to be seen, a search to be valued, to be someone's first choice. Maybe you've done things that resulted in more pain. You thought, there's no way I could ever run to God. Maybe your perception of God is that He still doesn't care and He just tell you how bad you've been. But let me tell you that it was this perception that kept me away from God. But then enter Jesus. In Luke 8, 1-2, it says, Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he cast out seven demons. Come on, seven demons. Mary went from being a woman who was overlooked and unseen to be seen by Jesus, and her life was changed forever. Jesus looked at Mary and he said, I see you. He saw exactly where she was at in her life. And he didn't say, you're too far gone. Seven demons are too many. Or I shouldn't even be talking to you because you're a woman. He went to her. He met her where she was at and he delivered her. And this is what the real Jesus does. This is who he is. He sees those who are unseen, who have written themselves off. And he says, I see you. And this is exactly what happened to me. For me, I was completely gone. But then in one invitation, in one moment, Jesus showed me that he sees me and that he saves me. And I remember it all too well. I'd been single for a few months, and I was starting to get my life back on track, whatever that meant back then. And I saw a message pop up from my old youth pastor, Pastor Shafe, some of you know him. And he, he said that his family come back from over east, and they were getting a bunch of people together to hang out at this dinner party thing. And I was like, oh, 
Yeah, I remember Shafe and Jess. They're pretty cool. Oh, guess I'll hang out with them. But I also knew that they were totally about God, and I wasn't about that at all. And I didn't want to be any part of it. But I decided to go because I remember what it was like being around them. They felt like home. And I really missed that feeling. So I went over there. It was pretty fun. I decided to go back again and again until one day on the 14th of February on a red couch, Shafe and asked if I wanted to give my life to God. And I remember feeling so much hesitation and doubt because I'd done such horrible things, things that I'd never, ever be forgiven for. And whilst I was thinking all this stuff, I was having that internal battle in my head. Shafin took my silence as a yes. And he prayed with me. Come on. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I did not feel ready at all. I was not ready in my brain. I was not ready to commit to anything. I wasn't even ready to commit to dinner parties every Thursday night. All I knew was that this felt like home. And I didn't have that feeling anywhere else. So I wanted to stay. And my heart was ready. And looking back now, I can say that Jesus always saw me. He always pursued me. I remember just random times in my life when I decided to leave Albany and moved to Perth all of a sudden to study. I left my family, my boyfriend at the time. And I even remember when I was up there, I found houses to rent with housemates that were actually good for me. I had friends at uni that were a good influence. I even had an uncle and auntie in Perth take me in. And all this happened while I was living a separate life from God. But that didn't stop him from seeing me and seeing my worth and calling me valuable enough to pursue. And tonight, Jesus is saying the same thing to you. He's saying, I see you. You are not too far gone. You are not too complicated. Your life is not too messy. I'm meeting you where you're at. I'm leading you into healing and freedom. I see you. Come on. So point number one, Jesus sees you. You know, after I gave my life to God, I felt this peace, like this deep peace. But the guilt didn't go away straight away. I still struggled with this thought because I was like, how could someone like me ever experience the freedom and forgiveness after what I'd done? Well, let me tell you, there's a verse. When Jesus was literally dying on the cross, he uttered in his last breath, he uttered these final words. So it says in John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he was up there on the cross with his last breath. He said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. This meant that my sin, my past, my shame, my guilt was all done for. I was clean. I was washed in that moment. And in today, right now, I stand clean before God. Come on. This blew my mind. Because before Jesus came along, I felt like I needed to perform to get approval. Like I couldn't do enough. I wasn't good enough for anyone. But then Jesus came into my life, a man who loved me so much that he did it all for me. He died for me. He took my shame. He took my guilt. I am free. Me. I was done right with God. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God didn't send his son to tell you how bad he's been or to condemn you, but to save you. And I just want to explain this because I really struggled with this concept when I first heard about the fact that Jesus died for my sins. It didn't make sense to me. How could I go from being someone so hated and having consequences in this life that would never go away to suddenly being declared righteous and free? Because in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The consequences of my sin, which are great, is death. I deserve an eternity in hell. 
an eternity away from God. But instead of me dying for my sins, Jesus stepped in and took my place. He didn't want me to die for the sins I committed. He wanted an eternity with me in it. He looked at me and said, that one, I'd die for that one. I was his first choice. I was seen and valued by him, just like Mary was. And I belonged to him. I belong to him. I'm his and not just anyone, the king of heaven, the creator of this world, the God who is sovereign above all. I am no longer the other woman. I'm a Jesus. I'm a daughter. I'm a daughter of Jesus. Come on. So let me tell you, when Jesus sees you, there's nothing else that matters. There's nothing else that can rescue you like he can. You can't do it yourself. Mary couldn't deliver herself of seven demons. I couldn't remove myself from the sinful life I was living. The fact that Jesus sees you holds so much power. It shows just how much he loves you, that he would give his life for someone like me, someone totally undeserving. And that's called grace. Because Mary went from being held captive by possession and the many sins she committed to being able to walk in freedom. And I went from destroying marriages to being able to experience the best marriage anyone could ever ask for. And I thank God that my past doesn't define me. I thank God that he's still valuing me and blessed me with things I didn't deserve, like a marriage and a child. I went from being labeled too far gone and the other woman to being called his. I went from being unseen to being called a daughter of God. I felt like hiding and withdrawing, but Jesus said, no, you are the light of the world. I thought I'd be stuck in the same place forever, but God said, no, you are redeemed. When I felt unloved, God said, you are loved. When I felt neglected and being second in the last choice, he said, no, you are chosen. I am no longer defined by my past. Come on. Jesus doesn't define us by our past because our past doesn't dictate our future when we're with him. Jesus doesn't define us by our past because our past doesn't dictate our future when we have him. You're not defined by your past. What you're currently going through doesn't define you. Your story is not over and God is working his testimony in your life right now. So Jesus sees you. Jesus saves you. Point two. So some of you might be thinking right now, yeah, but not me. That's not me. I thought the same thing. Well, let's introduce a guy from the Bible called Paul. He was a murderer. He went around actually killing Christians. And he said, yet I am the worst and God still used me. And, in, and it was just incredible watching him, hearing his story and his account. I definitely encouraged you to go back and read it. But it's amazing those words. And I don't care what you've done in your life. Jesus loves you. He can forgive you. And if you're writing yourself off saying that you're too far gone, I just want to share a verse that proves that you're not. In 1 Timothy 1.16, it says this, But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me, use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Wow, come on. This is amazing. This is a free gift. It's kind of like when Daniel gave me a ring and the free gift of his heart. <laughs> My response was yes and amen. Am I right? I couldn't pay for it. His heart was a free gift. I didn't earn it, but I gratefully accepted it. And it's like the story of the woman in the Bible, the story with the woman with the alabaster jar. The Bible says she was an immoral woman, a sinner. But when Jesus saw her, her heart's response was to pour a very expensive jar of perfume over his feet. She put out everything she had in response to being seen by Jesus. And when questioned by Simon, the Pharisee, when, why Jesus let her do that, he shared this parable. So Jesus says in Luke 7, 41 to 50, 
Then Jesus told them this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, cancelling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered. Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he cancelled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash my wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came, I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my hair, but she has anointed me, my feet, with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so that she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She smashed that jar. There was no looking back. She gave her all. And this is just like me. When Jesus saw me, like actually saw me and he knew everything, my response to his forgiveness was great. It was big. How can I do anything else but live a life poured out? You know, a great sacrifice calls out a great response from the heart. A great sacrifice calls out a great response from the heart. So if your response isn't great, if it's not big, maybe you haven't fully come to terms with what God has done for you yet. Responding in this way is a natural response of the heart. And this great response is exactly how Mary felt. When Mary was delivered and healed, she wanted to express her love to Jesus out of response to what he'd done for her and surrendered her life to him fully. But she wasn't just sent home. Jesus actually invited her to follow him in his ministry because he had a role for her to play. He said, I see you as valuable. Come follow me. And we see on multiple occasions in the Bible where Mary played a significant part in Jesus' ministry. Fun fact, did you know that Mary was just one of the women who funded and supported Jesus in his ministry? It's in Luke 8.3 if you want to look it up. Not only did she do that, but she also prepared Jesus' body for burial. She was present at the crucifixion. And get this, Mary was actually the very first to see the empty tomb and was asked to tell the disciples what had happened. Come on, here's Mary, no hope, no future. And she was God's first choice to then tell the disciples that he'd been resurrected. That's a big deal. In Psalm 57 too, it says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. You know, I thought I had purpose before I came, before Jesus came to my life. I had the job, I had the house, I had the perfect location, I had the friends. And I thought my purpose ended there. I thought my purpose in life was to be the other woman. That was it. I didn't know anything else. That's all that was ever was. And I never thought that I'd be where I am today. And please hear me in this. I'm not saying all of this because of how great I am, because I am still so far from perfect. But I want to tell you what he's done in my life to show you how good he is, how far he can take someone like me. So since giving my life fully over to him, I've been able to do things like run a dinner party, the place where I encountered the real Jesus so that other people can encounter him too. I've had the privilege of setting up the kids ministry here at Ocean's Church. He's now run by Jamie and doing an amazing job. And we get to lead the kids into an encounter with Jesus so that they don't have to grow up making the same mistakes that I did. They get to encounter him young. Kids ministry is where it's at. (laughs) I've also been able to pray for people to deliver them from demons. Yes, they are real. I've helped plant this church right here. 
a place that many have encountered Jesus. It's been amazing. And I'm so excited to continue to serve Jesus in this way. And most incredible to me is that alongside Dan, I get to teach and show my precious daughter, Elisha, that who, who the real Jesus is, that he sees her, that he saves her, and he, and he has purpose for her. So point number three, so Jesus sees you, Jesus saves you. Point number three, Jesus sends you. Yeah, God has purpose for you. And the, the reason Jesus delivered Mary was that she could go fulfill her purpose. He doesn't just want to save you, but there is a purpose to what he has. And he actually does this. Let me encourage you. If you're not already walking in it, he's probably setting you up for it right now. And I just want to pause for a moment as we all stand. And to let you know the most important part about stepping into your purpose, it actually starts with surrendering your life to him. Just like I did that night. And He's led me every single step from there. But Jesus won't force Himself into your heart. He didn't for me. He kept pursuing me. I had to come to a point myself where I realized that nothing else could satisfy, that only He could do that. So maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're where I was, far from God. Maybe you're heavy with guilt. You're overlooked. You feel overlooked. You're unseen. Or maybe you've been labeled with the other woman or the other man, the second, third, fourth, or even the last choice. So tonight I would love this to be your on-the-couch moment, the moment where you surrender everything and pray that simple prayer with you like I did that night where I surrendered my life to Jesus from that point because everything changes from that point. And this can happen to you right now. So I'd love to pray this prayer with you. If we could please or close our eyes, I would love to lead you. If that is you, if you are far from God, and tonight you want to ask for God's forgiveness and surrender your life to Him, in this moment, I'm going to ask you to put up your hand because I would love to pray for you. So don't worry about the people around you, but put up your hand as an outward sign of surrender and receive God's forgiveness. So if that is you, if you would like me to pray with you right now, just put up your hand nice and high so I can see it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Awesome. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. Right now, I receive your forgiveness and turn from my sin. I open the door of my heart and invite you to come in. I give my life to you and I ask that you lead me and help me to do your will from this moment for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. So good. I just want to pray for those people. Thank you, God, for those who put their hand up tonight, Father. Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you fill them? Will you fill up this place? Will you reveal your purpose in their life? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Awesome. So good. So I just want to switch gears here for a second because this isn't about just hearing about the real Jesus, but I actually want you guys to experience the taste and see moments, experience Him for yourself, not just in our head, but in your heart as well. Jesus is here. And just like He did with me and Mary, He wants to set you free. So why don't you close your eyes just for a few moments? Let's just be in His presence. 
Let me speak words over you. Lift your hands if you're comfortable to receive for him. If you want, if you want, you can come down to the front. Just let him meet you there where you are. I just want to speak into this. May Jesus sees you. And I want to speak directly to those who feel overlooked, unloved, pushed aside, too broken. Jesus says that he sees you. So right now, receive his love. Receive his presence. Receive and accept that you are his first choice. He sees you when you're alone. He sees you in the mess. You are not too far from God. Maybe there are people here tonight who have carried around labels like I did. Labels that aren't true, that are not your labels to carry. Maybe some of you have been labeled hopeless, too much. Tonight I break off these labels in Jesus' name. They are gone. You are chosen. You are seen. Say, I am God's first choice. You call that over us, Jesus. We thank you for that. And there are some people here tonight who've written yourself off from purpose, like I did. But tonight, Jesus is saying that He sees you, He saves you, and now He sends you. You have purpose. And I feel like some of you might have thrown it away or not ever really picked it up. I feel God saying tonight, it is time to pick it up. I see people right now clicking back into their purpose, realigning their purpose with God's. So Father, right now we pray for a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in this space. Right now, I just see God placing greatness in people's hearts. I hear God saying, don't settle. This is a time where you let me take the reign so I can show you just how powerful I am. There is a time of letting go of your desires before I send you. And I'm reminded of this verse in Isaiah 55, 8. It says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God, will you give people your desires for their life? Wash away the old, bring forth a new, a new vision, a new perspective, an alternative way. We give it all to you, Father. We thank you, God. And we're going to worship in just a moment, but I just want to share one more thing. So early in the week, I was, as I was praying into this message, God showed a vision. And I feel like this is for someone here tonight, maybe a few people. But I kept seeing this, this vision of a caterpillar and a butterfly. And we know that in order for a caterpillar to become a butterfly, it needs to first go into the cocoon. And I sense that there are people in that cocoon moment, in that season. And I feel God reminding us that He actually has purpose in that. And I see that while the caterpillar is in the cocoon, it's growing wings. It's never flown before, but it's been prepared for something it's never done. And I feel like this is a word for some tonight. You're in a cocoon. You're in the waiting. You're not sure what's next, but God is doing a work in you. And He needs the time it takes to grow your wings. Because what you're going to do in the next season is something you've never done. And He needs time with your heart to prepare you for it. So if this is any of you, as we sing this next song, I feel like God is inviting you to come and respond. Respond to His grace. Respond to what He's doing in your life. Like Mary or the woman with the alabaster jar, this is a time to surrender everything again to Him. Pour out your heart. Let Him fill you up.
Father, we thank you that you are doing a work in us, that you want your, we want your power to be revealed. We want I want you to show us your ways, God. I thank you that your ways are higher than ours, Father. Your thoughts are greater than ours. And right now, we surrender everything to you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to the Oceans Church podcast. For more information, visit oceans.church.